Welcome to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We turn entrepreneurs into media celebrities, grow their authority, and help them build partnerships with top influencers. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspiration podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. And with us right now, we've got Chris Tuff. Chris, you're the Executive Vice President and Director of Content Marketing and Partnerships for 22 Squared, and you're the author of The Millennial Whisperer. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Josh. Uh, Chris, how did you find your way into, uh, again, kind of content marketing, um, everything that you do on the creative end? Sure. I mean, it took 64 failed job interviews before I got to lucky 65th. And, you know, I always use that as examples when I'm talking to audiences being that it was through those failed 64 job interviews that it was kind of uh, natural selection to a place that was somewhere close to my zone of passion and, you know, ultimately purpose. But, you know, I, I, so I, I kind of fell into, I, I interviewed once again, lucky 65th interview at a, advertising firm that was just up and coming as digital was making its way back from the dot-com bust. And it was a place called Moxie Interactive. And I fell in, I I, I started as an account executive. I was the 13th employee there. And we quickly grew from 13 to almost 500 in a five-year period. And uh, I bounced around a lot because I was kind of searching for that, that, that place that felt like home where I was really excited about kind of getting to work every day. And so I was an account executive for a couple of years. And then I was a copywriter. I was the worst copywriter in probably advertising history. And then I <laughs> fell into the social media space. And um, I got to work, it was right as Facebook was going from colleges into the general public. I got to work directly with Mark Zuckerberg on his mm. first products um, on behalf of our one of the first five advertisers on Facebook. And, you know, it was actually through that, that the owner of the company came to me and she was like, now, listen, Chris, I think we found your place. You know, it's kind of in this mm-hmm. emerging media. There's this new social media thing, but we've got to prove to our client Verizon Wireless that we can create a viral video. So if you create a viral video, then <laughs> we will give you your own department. And it's all around this kind of new niche. And I was like, awesome. What's a viral video? She was like, well, if you get a million views of a video, it's a viral video. And I was like, great. Mm -hmm. And it was right at that time that I was patiently courting my wife for four months and I wanted to uh, propose to her. So I'm actually an identical twin. Um, she was an, she's an identical twin. I didn't have the patience to fly our twins in there. And I was like, perfect. I'll just film our engagement. So I called up one of my friends who was a cameraman for the real world on MTV. And I was like, listen, I need your help. So I put a camcorder, hit it in a tree. I had a wireless mic on. And then he was in the back of a car as I was going for a run with my now wife. She did say yes. And I pretended to sprain my ankle at a certain point on the road. And I went from spraining my ankle to then and her kind of laughing at me and saying, you know, how clumsy I am. And then I went from spraining my ankle to popping the question. And in a three and a half minute clip, it was a scale of emotion that the internet hadn't really seen before. Uh. And so I put it on ChristopherTuff.com. 
we ended up getting millions and millions of views. Good Morning America flew down and we even got our pictures on the front page of the Wall Street Journal for the whole thing. And, you know, I always use that as an example of, you know, when you hit that zone of kind of passion, purpose and profession, when all those things overlap, ridiculous things tend to happen to you. And that was really my first foray into establishing what I call my currencies, right? Which your currency is what you do in the world that people seek out your advice for. And then it, it acts as the backbone of effective networking. You know, for you, Josh, it's, it's obviously, you know, how do you curate relationships using digital tools to then bring people along? For me, I was the digital and social guy. And, uh, you know, I then, you know, I, I saw that all the way through. It brought me over to where I'm a partner, 22 squared, 11 years ago. I helped build out their social and digital media expertise and, I was always surrounded by younger people, whether it be the different companies that I worked with, like Facebook or Snapchat. But, you know, one thing that I would tell all my friends who tend to be older than me, you know, in their mid 40s, uh, you know, to 50s, I'm like, yeah, I love these millennials. And it was at a <laughs> retreat that uh, I was leading 14, it was an executive retreat that Tommy Breedlove was actually hired to host the whole thing. And yeah. I went to introduce myself and I was like, I don't really know what I do anymore, but we're 390 employees, mostly millennials, but I've kind of become the millennial whisperer. And when I sat down after sharing my story, Tommy looks at me, who yeah, I know he's been featured here before uh, with his big blue eyes and his like Southern draw. He goes, you better write that book. And I was like, what book? He goes, the millennial whisperer. <laughs> and sure enough, I ended up following through with it. But it, you know, I was starting to, you know, as he was kind of telling me this, he's I started to share with some of these other executives some of the tactics that I would use. And they're like, I can't believe you do that stuff, but I'm going to try it. And three weeks later, four of the guys called me from the retreat. They're like, Chris, I don't know what you do, but like, uh, you've got to teach more people this because it works. We started implementing some of those tactics. And yeah. that was kind of the, you know, that, that was, uh, I guess we published 18 months ago. We've sold close to 100,000 copies and you know, I've got to be on the main stage at Nike and other corporations. And, you know, one thing that I allude to, though, is that my currency has essentially changed. And I've evolved my currency to this new place where I'm kind of, mm -hmm. I've become kind of the, the culture guy. And then I'm now working on the next book, which is more around the networking side of things. So that's kind of the... Mm -hmm. The story arc. Yeah, there's a few things. Obviously, there's a few things that I definitely want to talk on. Number one would be, um, you know, for sure, let's talk about, you know, what leadership uh, with millennials looks like and some best practices. We're going to get again into that. Another thing I want to talk about is obviously, you know, if you've built up such a success doing one thing, you know, obviously, you know, there was an opportunity here. But Again, you're successful doing something, you know, then kind of moving on to do something new might be kind of scary. So again, we're going to get into that. Yeah. But the, the first thing I want to talk about is in retrospect, now thinking back to 60 some job interviews, what do you think was going on there? Like, why weren't there the connections? Is it, was it mainly you saying, no, this is not the right fit for me? Or were there like, no, Chris, thanks. We're going to take a pass on you. You're a little too outside the box for us. So I think it was a little of both. And, you know, we hire people. Once again, it was a tough job market. It was, I mean, I guess somewhat similar to what's happening out there right now. And you really had to go above and beyond to land something. And I think a lot of those interviews, they did not see that enthusiasm that they probably expected. 
Um, nor did they see the, uh, the just fire in my eyes. And, mm. you know, I, I tell even parents this, I'm like the worst thing that you can do for your kid straight out of school, is set them up with job interviews or connections. They've got to figure that out on their own because wow. it's through that natural selection that they will end up falling into this Plinko game of life that is somewhere close to their deep down passion and purpose. And you're not going to get spit out into that perfect place. We've got to work our way there with career direct trajectory and some of these lateral moves that we make. But the same is true of organizations. The best thing you can do for your employees is to allow them, especially as young employees, to make some of those lateral moves. And so, you know, I see it even today as some of my friends tap into me who are massively successful and they're like, you know what, Chris, I haven't told many people this, but I'm unfulfilled. I don't like going to work anymore. And they're either lawyers or doctors or, mm -hmm. you know, have big, you know, entrepreneurs, actually very few of them that complain are entrepreneurs. Most of those guys are pretty happy with their lives. Um, but you know, they're like, I don't know how we got into this. I'm like, well, why'd you become a lawyer in the first place? They're like, well, my dad was a lawyer. My mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. This is, this is, I'm seeing a theme here. And so, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's, it's just looking at that natural selection and, and also doing a little bit of that work to understand what it is that drives you. Where are some of your natural talents and let that dictate where you're spit out and be open to kind of rolling with it a little bit. Yeah. So in your case, uh, obviously, you know, you're just kind of happy doing everything that you're doing uh, creatively. And, you know, for you to become an expert on millennials might feel like, well, why would I do that? Because everybody, anybody could do that, right? Exactly. So it, it, it feels like a little bit like you're kind of starting over. It, uh, to a certain extent, but you know, one thing about currencies as you're evolving them is that as you're going from one to the next, it, it, there's no, it's a gray area. And that was my greatest learning. It's not abrupt. Like, I guess in my head, I thought I would be going from the digital and social guy to the culture fixer using mm. millennials as the catalyst for them. Because one thing I say is millennials aren't the problem. They just expose all the problems. All these things that millennials want, we all deep down want. And the one thing getting in the way of adoption of that is us saying, well, we had to do it this way. Why don't they? And so as you look at kind of that holistically, it's, uh, it takes time for you to actually evolve into that next currency. Um, but the other piece mm -hmm. that I tell a lot of people is it's also why passion projects, hobbies, and side hustles are essential to always evolving because we're always changing as human hmm. beings, especially for us overachievers that surround ourselves with, um, you know, people like Tommy and others, we're always striving for that next thing, but we're also changing as people. And so the only way that we can adapt to that change is really through side hustles, side hustles, hobbies, and passion projects. And even especially with people with young millennials and Gen Zers on their teams, I say it's absolutely essential that you act as not only that, that boss to them, but also mentor to pull out of them what it is that drives them, what is their purpose, and then also embrace some of these, encourage them to embrace these side hustles that will then help fuel those passions. Uh, and, and, you know, I call it my 70-30 rule. And my 70-30 rule comes out of this idea that 
most of us think that the grass is always greener on the other side, which is influenced most, you know, really by social media and what's happening in our feeds and this kind of, you know, pursuit of perfection. And uh, the reality is that 70% of our jobs should excite us, but 30% of your job is just going to suck, right? And that's it. And sometimes it's 50-50. I'll do, I'll, I'll work up with some of these big famous corporations and I actually bring up a Gen Z and millennial panel. I'm like, what's your, what's your ratio? And sometimes they're like, it's 30-70 the other way. And when you hear these things, it's, it's that much more important that bosses act as that mentor and help fuel and offset some of that suck. But also letting them take their job description and say, okay, this is what's in my 70%. And then here's what's in my 30. It makes it a lot easier for them to work through those five days in a row of suck to then get to the other side when they know that they've identified what it is that drives them and then what it is that kind of takes energy away from them. Yeah. So uh, for companies that have in 2020 uh, become far more distributed, virtual, working online, is this a net plus, would you say, for millennials? I, I, I absolutely think that. And, you know, one is they're a lot more adept to technology, right? There are two main things of what make millennials different and what actually even make older millennials different than younger millennials. And it's mm. their adoption of technology. Older millennials had beepers in college. Younger millennials were given a brand new iPhone account with like iPhone with a Snapchat account on it at age 13. Right, um, right. So, you know, they had social media all through much of their formative years versus older millennials kind of learned it as they went. You know, they're in college or they're even graduated in some cases before they had their first social media accounts. And so what that creates is one, you know, adoption of technology. But two, the other big thing is when the recession of 2008 either hit them, older millennials were in the marketplace, younger millennials saw their mom and dad lose their jobs, and then inherited all this student debt. And it's really those two influences that make even older millennials and younger millennials different. But even looking at younger millennials, their adoption of technology is so quick and they're true digital natives. And But that also needs to, you know, they're much more comfortable with screens versus interpersonal. So one of the rules I create for especially my younger millennials and Gen Zers that are straight out of school is that if you're in the same building as someone, You've got to walk up out of your seat, no texting, no emailing, walk out of your seat, walk to the other side of the building and talk to them (laughs) person to person because these are interpersonal muscles. And I think, so I think that's even true with video chat. Although like I'm watching my daughters who are Gen Zers, 10 and eight, I watch them on their Zoom, you know, COVID classroom calls. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. Like they can they're so much more adept at it. So yeah, I do feel to a certain extent that these next generations are a little bit more inclined to more of that virtual connection piece. And and we should point out for sake of definition, because I see this, um, I think that people uh, don't really understand the the age, the actual age of a millennial, we tend to think of it, at least I tend to think of it, oh, these are people in their 20s, young 20s. Yeah. <laughs> Millennials yeah. are 24 to 39 years old. Exactly. So, so this is not kids. Oh, those darn millennials. <laughs> exactly. No, that's exactly so, right. So what is it, so it's, what, what is it unique about this age range? Uh, is, is it just because of their access at an earlier age 
to digital communication and being in a connected world that's really influenced how they connect uh, with other folks uh, in a, and I'm speaking as a Gen X. Sure. Um, um, so it, is that largely, do you think what flavors uh, a millennial's um, culture? And their relationship with their parents. And what I mean by mm. that is if you look at their relationship with their parents, they were recipients of participation trophies through most of their lives. So <laughs> for bosses, that yeah. means there's an increased need for recognition and rewards, which I talk wow. a lot about in the book. Um, but the other piece is if you look at their relationship, your relationship, Josh, with your parents, and generally speaking, and I'm right on the cusp of X and, um, and millennial, but mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times our relationship is one of, um, a, you know, authority figure. We saw them, um, you know, almost authoritarian and what we inherited even from an understanding as to what a boss is, is that a boss is a boss, right? There's no mm -hmm. friendship or whatever that's thrown out the window with younger millennials and Gen Zers. They are friends right. with their parents. They're, they're talking about what they're doing. I mean, it's almost um, scary, <laughs> but yeah. it's understanding that. Um, so managing parents is always going to be an issue. I've had some parents come in and actually negotiate salaries on their kid's behalf. I use oh, one no. of the stories in the book. I mean, and, and, yeah. and you start talking about Oh my about gosh, this that's incredible. Circles, and it happens a lot. And it's, you know, the yeah. snowplow parenting. But what it creates, and there are, I think, actually a lot of good things in that relationship. But what these younger people, all, almost all millennials and Gen Zers are looking for with their bosses and anyone in the really corporation is connection. And one thing I emphasize to audiences is connection and context. And connection one of the things that they want to feel from you as a boss is a vested interest in their lives, not just business lives, but personal lives. And I encourage all bosses, follow your people on Instagram. So when you come in on Monday, you can do- That's the, not creepy? No. It's if it feels creepy, then you got to work in that relationship. And you will uh. end up, if, if your people feel like they do not have a connection with you, they will walk. And for the first time ever, it doesn't matter what the economy is doing right now, even with 15 to 20% unemployment, they will walk before they work for someone that they feel like they do not have a genuine connection with. And mm. one of the pieces around the social media thing, it's not necessarily so you can be that creep. Obviously, like you shouldn't be there's a lot of things you should not be doing. Right. right? No, yes. But just for even just like, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it's like, well, you think, well, my employees are going to want their space. Like they want to keep, oh, no, no, you're a work person. I don't want, you know, or, or I might think that. I don't sure. know that they think that. And they might say, well, you're a work person. So I don't want you knowing what's going on, especially if you are my boss. I don't want you knowing what's going on in my personal life because I might want to cut loose on the weekend and I don't want that to look poorly or something like that professionally. Whereas like, I, you know, well, one thing I, I would hope a, that that, that wouldn't really matter, but just under, <laughs> understanding what drives your people, what motivates them, what are their hobbies, what are their passions? And that yeah. can come through a conversation, right? What, what, tell me like, what do you like to do? you know, in your one-on-ones. One of the examples I use in the book is a friend of mine, Mike Hibbison, who's an executive at the Home Depot, a very conservative ROI-driven firm, um, corporation, Fortune whatever, 100. 
And uh, one thing he does with his, all of his 30 direct reports is at the beginning of his one-on-ones, he gives them the option to talk about work or talk about life. And 80% (laughs) of the time they talk about life and people will ask, well, what's the direct ROI of that? It's, it's, it's secondary. It comes with time. You get loyalty out of them. You get context as to why they're performing or underperforming because you know what's happening in their lives. But it's through that connection and this idea of kind of following people on social media, understanding where their passions lie, or even what I call it the art of the flyby. Don't wait for your one-on-ones with people to go and say hello. And on a Monday morning, when you see that someone on your team, Meg, just adopted a cute kitten, you walk by and you say, Meg, that kitten is so adorable. Tell me, where'd you get it? Like, what's its name? She's mm-hmm. going to be like, oh, wow. Like, he or she actually yeah, cares about me. Yeah, takes an interest in me in my life. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a pretty well-known CEO about this. And he was like, wait, I don't want people following me and seeing what I do. I'm like, they don't care about what you're doing. All they care right. about is that you're taking a vested interest in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, you know, and I think that this is just part and partial to everybody. I mean, everybody wants to feel, you know, that they matter, I think, uh, you know, and, you know, I think I'm thinking this out is you don't want a culture where everything is a transactional relationship, right? I mean, you don't want people like, I'm going to give you eight hours of my time and you're going to pay me for eight hours of my time. And then I'm out of here. Like that doesn't strike me as a relationship that's going to last very long. No. And that idea that that went out the window with the smartphone, right? Like the smartphone, (laughs) let's call it like just that went out the window with technology, right? Uh, There's no, it's work-life integration. It's no, no longer work-life balance. And if you're looking, you know, I think there are some jobs that are still tra- transactional in, in nature. And as you look at yeah. more of the hourly wages and blue collar, but at the end of the day, I, I made it a point to use even, you know, restaurants as examples of ways to, that we can start leading better um, because this applies to, it doesn't matter where you work. These things apply to, to what it is that's driving your people and, you know, it's interesting as you even look at Gen Zers, you're, you're seeing a much greater emphasis on things like purpose, but purpose that isn't about you, it's about doing good in the world. And it, it's, it's refreshing. What, what I do matters, what we're creating our impact in the world, um, it, it matters. Exactly, exactly. Wow. And, you know, and then, you know, you look at just quick, just, you know, from a stats, what, what millennials and Gen Zers are looking for out of leaders. They're looking for inspirational leadership, number one, autonomy, transparency, and authenticity. And any one of those we can break down, but this idea of context, like, especially as it relates to transparency, oftentimes leaders misinterpret transparency to be one of two things. Either they misinterpret it to be financial transparency and they're like, listen, I'm not telling everyone what our profit margins are or how much money everyone makes. It's like, it's not that. Or they go to the other side of it and they misinterpret it as transparency being more vulnerability. And they're like, I don't want to cry in front of my people and Brene Brown it out. And I'm like, it's not that either. (laughs) All they want is context. Why are you making the decisions that you are making? Give them the data as to why you're doing the things that you're doing. And oftentimes you'll be applauded with, 
oh, wow. Oh, so that's why you're doing it. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, we've been brought up, especially with the kind of Xers as boomers is the, 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 bo- the kind of boss pattern that we would follow. It's that you got to sugarcoat everything. And it's like, listen, talk about your mistakes. Talk about what went wrong and then how you're going to start adjusting that in the future. And there's so much that comes out of that when you are um, truly transparent and all right, here's, here's the deal. You know, and then even autonomy, one of my favorite in, in researching the book, I worked with Vanderbilt University and we had tons of different data points. Deloitte Millennial Survey being a, 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 one of the large contributors to, to not just hypotheses, but this is founded in data. But on the qualitative side, I really wanted to look into this idea of autonomy because I think that's also something that is oftentimes misinterpreted. So I went to Google and I looked up number one boss for millennials. And I came across this guy in Philadelphia named Ben Kirshner, who has over, I think, 2,000 employees. And Forbes called him out as the number one boss for millennials. So I'm like, I'm going to call him. So I called him. And I told him all about the book I was writing and he goes, and we started to, I was like, so tell me about this idea of autonomy. And he goes, Chris, have you ever heard of the term protect this house by Under Armour? I was like, yeah, I mean, I think so. He goes, well, first I asked people, do you have a house worth protecting? Do you have a house where when you tell your people, it's up to you to protect this house. Do you have a culture that is worth protecting? So that's the first question. The second piece is that it's up to you to push down those controls to them. And if you have a bad culture fit, if you have even unlimited paid vacation, which in their case was one of those things, I don't dictate that stuff. If there's a bad culture fit, I say, it's up to you guys to protect this house. You spit them out. But also with covering for one another with unlimited paid vacation, you guys figure it out. It's up to you all to protect this house. So I love that idea of doesn't matter what, how large your corporation or startup might be, give them the autonomy, but also make sure that you have a culture that is worth protecting. Wow. So millennials are going to make up 75% of the workforce by the end of this decade. And uh, this is... uh, the, the book, again, is The Millennial Whisperer. It just came out last year. It's USA Today national best-selling book, LA Times best-selling book. Uh, Chris, this sounds great. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Anything else that, uh, that if people are like, I like this guy, I got to learn more, where do they go? What do they sure. do? How do they engage with you? So the best way to connect with me is actually on Instagram of all places. And my Instagram handle is at tough, T-U-F-F-2-2. It's actually how Josh, because I'm horrible at email, Josh sent me a video message on uh, on Instagram message. Uh, that's probably the best place to get in touch with me. And then if you actually go to quiz.themillennialwhisperer.com, I have a free book offer. So all you have to do is pay for the shipping. It's like five bucks. And um, I will tell you just with answer eight questions, I'll tell you what type of millennial leader you are. And then also I'll tell you your strengths and weaknesses as well as give you the offer for a free book. So, and it's a hardcover. So it's not like the cheap version either. 
<laughs> Very nice, Chris Tuff. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, the book is The Millennial Whisperer. Uh, Chris, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. Thanks for listening to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Mm-hmm.